Christina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series. Our topic is on finance. Will Roundtree is back with us. He talks about the session, the reboot that we're going through, the wonderful opportunities that we have to see. We have to see beyond what's in front of us. And he talks about uh, not only the real estate investment sector, he talks about leveraging credit, money, and finance. Will Roundtree and I are coming to you right now. Hey, hey, Will. Sabrina Marie, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing awesome. Awesome. I am hoping all of our audience is doing well. Uh, we brought you on, and thank you again for being a guest for the uh, second time, the second appearance. We are in a different monetary season now with interesting predictions. And um, refresh our audience as to who you are, what you do, and where you're from. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for having me on. Uh, my name is Will Roundtree. I am the president, founder, and CEO of We Management Services. I am a two-time author. First book, Credit is King, uh, where it's a book, I often say a manual, at giving you, you know, step-by-step uh, strategies and helping you understand, improve, and maintain your credit. And then my second book, Full-Time CEO, The Things They Don't Tell You, which is where I dive in and talk about all of the unglamorized side of entrepreneurship that, you know, usually when you turn on any social media outlet, you're not going to see. I'm also a TEDx speaker. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a father. uh, I'm an educator. And all around, I just love to educate people on the things that obviously we weren't privileged enough to learn about, and that's uh, financial literacy. Awesome. I I listen to the news and the financial predictions, and I look at the state that the average American, whether it be black, white, whoever, is in right now, and just really rebounding from uh, our last two and a half years with COVID. And I'm wanting to pick your brain. What do you see? Well, the first thing, uh, Sabrina, I wish I, I, I had a crystal ball, <laughs> you know, so because I, I don't think anyone know, you know, what's looming, but we do know that there's a correction taking place. Uh, I think right. we've been in a recession for a while, everything from inflation to the rising cost of interest rate, interest rates, and even just understanding that, you know, uh, even just taking a look at how the landscape of, employment is, is 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 looking you know i i personally think that all of the stimulus money that was given out actually somehow kind of backfired and did a disservice in certain pockets with certain individuals because one of the things that you know people often say they're fighting for is their time freedom and the fact that most people have been off almost 2 years gave them a glimpse of what time freedom looks like and so now it's hard for them to go back and because it's hard for them to go back, it's put them in a situation and scenario where now their entire, you know, day-to-day is operating out of desperation because they're trying to figure things out, as I like to call it, 
without any proper training. So to answer your question, uh, I think that it's a lot of things going on that makes, I call it, you know, the, a financial gumbo uh, of a potential catastrophe for some people. And, 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 and But what I have been telling people, because nobody knows the severity of what's going to happen, uh, at what point it gets worse, the main focus of this being should be preparation. You know, I've been training, right. you know, I call, I call it the three P's and not uh, the Paycheck Protection Plan. The three P's is you want to have the, uh, you know, the, be in position to have the power to purchase. And so I've been screaming and telling people to get in position, get your credit in position, understand where you are financially, put a budget together. And I think that it 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 helps with the forecast of what each individual's uh, chessboard, as I like to call it, will look like uh, going into whatever we are going into and you just want to be prepared as much as you can, uh, you know, whether it's cutting back expenses, whether it's understanding where your money is going, whether it's, you know, um, you know, creating other streams of income. And so uh, these are things that I think help people to get prepared a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit easier to be able to deal with whatever does come down the pipe. You mentioned um, the disservice that uh, some of the stimulus money, whether it be business, um, people getting that stimulus money, et cetera. Um, some people would say a lot of businesses that really didn't even need the stimulus money got paid. And then there are others that say, well, that's how people generate wealth anyway, where the average working person may ask for help. Many of our Wall Street businesses, people who are stockbrokers, etc., they get a helping hand when they don't have to pay the taxes. What do you say to that? That's a great point. So I think there's a little bit of misconception in that strategy and concept. Uh, wealthy people, or as we look at people who pay less in taxes, that's because they've learned to leverage debt. You know, whether it's right. them taking and borrowing money to invest in a company, to invest in real estate, to invest in something that's going to produce income. And then what they do is, is they've learned not to use the money or be so reliant on their income. They're, 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 they rely on debt. Now, because we have a misconception of what we think debt is or what debt should be, that's because we've only been privy to one side of debt, and that's unstructured debt. But when you when you learn and understand the concept of structured debt, then that's when you get in the game of when you see wealthy people not paying as much in taxes, uh, whether it's from, you know, setting up holding companies, whether it's, you know, uh, utilizing uh, trust and uh, leveraging LLCs to borrow from banks. And so there's a lot of different concepts that most people just have not been educated on, which is why there's a misconception of the whole, hey, they use free money. Uh, no, it's not free money if they learn how to use the debt. Thank you for explaining that. You um, came to my show last year. You were talking about doing a tour and helping people learn uh, how to, to do better with not only their money, mindset, etc. Now, refresh our audience who may have not have heard you on the first time. You talked about where you came from. 
and how this means a lot to you so much that you've become an expert in it. Where did you come from and learn these principles? Absolutely. So I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, and it's hard to say where I learned the principles from because I think uh, the greatest, um, you know, lesson I've had was experience. That's yeah. the only way you learn. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, there's no real way to learn how to fight unless you go out there and possibly get in a fight. You know, and I often say you don't learn how to drive a car by reading the manual. So you can take all the business courses, all of the financial courses, but you won't understand concepts unless you actually go out there and, and gain experience. And so, uh, as you know, I can remember moving to Las Vegas in 2005 and, uh, you know, sleeping on the floor and being homeless and taking showers in, you know, rec facilities and going to the library and taking out books on credit and finances and real estate and money. I mean, all of those things are what taught me. You know, having access to mentors and investing in coaches are just things that helped me to tweak and fine-tune the things that I was gaining from experience. So I think that, you know, it's going to be a culmination of things, but things are a lot easier now because you have the Internet. You have social media. I mean, you're literally fingertips, you're fingertips away and one degree away from anything you want to learn. And that's very true, very true. Um, but you had to have um, not only the experience of what you went through, you had to change your whole mindset around. And you said that you'd gone to the library, you started looking at books, and you've got, you know, the Internet as a tool. What was the point in which uh, some light bulb switch came on in your mind to say, hey, this has got to change? Uh, when I found myself being a grown man and feeling like I was going insane because I was doing the same thing, same practices, and I was expecting different results. You know, I got tired of sleeping in my car. I got tired of being denied applying for an apartment. Uh, you know, I started to understand that employers check your credit. So I got tired of uh, not seeing a dollar amount in my bank account that I was satisfied with. So I had to make drastic changes, but then I had to want it bad enough. But I think, you know, I often say I had an unfair advantage because I think rock bottom teaches you something that no other experience can teach you. So I hit rock bottom. So that's what forced me to to get up and, and get out there and go get it. This year, what are your plans, and are you still teaching uh, the methods on tour, how are you um, maneuvering now that people are back out either finding jobs, going back to their jobs, or just reinventing themselves? What are you doing? Yes, yeah, so I am still out on uh, tour. Uh, I've created more online curriculums. I'm extremely active on social media. And my thing is really just always putting content out there. I've gotten more heavily on TikTok. And always just trying to stay up with the times because I think a lot of times we as entrepreneurs or just individuals, we get stuck in our ways of what we think should work instead of doing what actually works. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. that's putting ourselves in front of as many people as we can. You've hit on something. Many people don't want to learn new ways and don't want to be relevant now. They want to do the same things they've done forever. And um, even though they may have a great product or a great idea or a great concept, so that's great that you are looking at uh, the different made, and ways and methods to get out there. Now, you mentioned real estate. 
and investing in the real estate sector, which gives you, if you're very good at it, passive income. Can you talk on that? Yeah, the thing I love about real estate is the passive income component. I mean, think about it. You're able to leverage debt, something that you don't pay taxes on. You can go out there and buy a piece of debt, i.e. real estate. As long as you understand the concept of how to purchase properly, not only will you, you should be able to make enough to be able to service the debt, but also see a return on investment. But then here's the concept of real estate that wealthy people have learned, which is why they're wealthy. Now they own an asset that they can borrow against tax-free and be able to hold that forever. And typically when you have an asset that you've purchased the proper way, it's going to appreciate in value. So now imagine having something that you own where you can literally borrow against multiple times during the tenure of your ownership. And so, but because we've overcomplicated the process of understanding real estate, uh, you know, understanding debt, understanding credit, but I, I have a saying, if we just understood that it's really fifth grade math, it'll be easier to understand. I mean, think about it. Fifth grade math consists of multiplications, divisions, decimals, and fractions. And as I like to say, commas. <laughs> you know, because when you learn this information, your money definitely can grow. The real estate market now has, uh, especially in some of the urban areas where you can get um, real estate uh, in areas pretty pretty low, and you have many ethnicities and people, nationalities coming in and buying uh, blocks of homes in historic areas that were at one time black. You know, and um, I I don't know whether you know about this. What do you say to how the real estate market has changed when many of these companies are coming in and, and buying up not only apartment complexes, they're buying up homes? Yeah, I think what we've done is, is that we've gotten away from understanding value. You know, uh, there's a famous quote, we know the price of everything but the value of nothing. And because we, we, we don't understand, we, we, we don't value ownership. And so, now, I will also say that there has been a great, um, you know, there's, there's been a great movement of keeping, especially people within the, you know, inner cities and inner communities, giving them a narrative of thinking that there is no value in our neighborhoods, you know, by utilizing terms such as the ghettos. But it's, it's ironic in, 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 in a sense that why is it that most of these neighborhoods that are considered ghettos being gentrified? Why That's is it right. that they're doing such a, 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 you know, doing as much as they can to, to bust and ship people out of these inner cities and move them to neighborhoods where they have inadequate transportation? Because they see the value in something that they've conditioned us not to see the value in. And that's one of my purposes and missions of getting people to understand the power of ownership, understanding real estate, why it's important. Because, like, for example, I can drive down any city, or as they say, any MLK in any major city or metropolitan city, and we'll see all of the dilapidated homes. But mm -hmm. you go back there six months later, then you start seeing Starbucks. You start seeing Whole Foods. So the same neighborhoods that we have have told ourselves we don't want to uh, have ownership in, 
other communities see the value in it, and that's, you know, unfortunate. So, you know, we have to understand value, and until we understand value, you know, it's bigger than saying, okay, I see a raggedy house, as opposed to saying, hey, I see an, an asset that can generate me $1,000 a month. And because the house is in such a dilapidated state, I possibly can buy that house for $10,000, put another fifty dollars to $70,000 in. And after I figure out what my monthly expenses are versus how much I would actually bring in for, for, for rent, and then I look at my return on investment, but then I also look at the long-term play of that strategy and understanding, hey, if I hold this property for two to three years or five to six years, I now can go and borrow because at inception, yes, between purchase price and rehab, I may have paid sixty to seventy thousand. But now this property is worth two hundred thousand, so I can actually borrow up to eighty percent of that value of that home, which is one hundred and sixty thousand dollars, tax free. Go out there and repeat that entire process again. Which means I can go buy another house using the debt from the first purchase, but then guess what, Sabrina? The tenants from the house or property number one is going to pay the debt through the rent on property number two. And then I just continue that cycle. You know, I asked this for a reason when I was in um, undergrad. Uh, gentrification was coming to a particular area in northwest Washington. And I remember even before I got to Howard University, you know, family would tell me when we would drive through some dilapidated places, they'd say, oh, this is the famous such-and-such theater, or this is the such-and-such place where, you know, all the greats used to, you know, sing and play and do, you know, their shows, and it was just chained up. It looked like something you wanted to run from. But as I started walking around the city, one thing I was seeing that you have just, just mentioned, seeing value. I would see people finely dressed. I'm talking about, you know, zoot suits and $5,000 suits walking their little poodles in the hood. And I'm thinking, oh, my heavens, what are they doing here? And they, I said, what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? And that's the question I asked myself. I wasn't thinking real estate. I wasn't thinking anything. By the time I graduated and they had fixed up the famous Howard Theater and the surrounding areas, the real estate value went from, you know, somebody I knew who wanted to sell their place for forty grand. Well, now that place is, you know, $1.9 million. And we're talking in less than five, six years. That's so right now. Yeah, very, very common. You see it in Detroit, and you see it in New York, and areas that were, you know, the hub of, of uh, you know, black life and other life, you know. So that's why I asked you the real estate question. Uh, you're mentioning uh, being able to acquire properties, keep those properties, and, and uh, you know, rehab them uh, over a period of time. When do you see the American dream of affordability uh, of the – American dream coming back mm-hmm. uh, because it used to be that you know a regular job used to be able to get you that wonderful home. Now you have to think outside the box and buy properties 
and rehab, which is a good thing because you, if you can hold off and do something like what you're talking about, you can actually make the place into what you want it to be. Yeah, rather no, than absolutely. getting a, yeah, rather than a cookie. But what do you think that American dream can come back because the real estate market is really out of price for many people? Well, I, I think that we have to first realize that the American dream is subjective. You know, for example, at one point, you know, when I was growing up, I was told go to school, get good grades, get a good job, you know, have 1.5 children and a wife with a white picket fence. Like, that wasn't my reality. So I had to create my own perception of what my dream looked like. And so from a standpoint of homeownership, I think that, one, because the rising cost of interest rates, I think that first now we have to get to a standpoint about affordability, and here's what I mean. Sabrina, most people overspend on their homes. So the American dream almost becomes a fallacy because, or we find ourselves in a situation like the housing market because we have people who are making $10 an hour buying half a million dollar homes. And Mm -hmm. so this is where the term house poor came from, not necessarily from that period of time, but the average person overspends on their house. Let's let's take a look at, you know, people when it comes to debt. Right now, the average car note is $711 a month. Mm-hmm. Just 18 months ago, it was $530 a month. Now, because of what we think the American dream should look like, that's why people get caught up in these financial ruts or these financial ruins, as I like to call them. So the American dream is still obtainable. You just may have to, you know, uh, 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 recreate what that dream looks like for you. You know, instead of having a house on the hills uh, with five bedrooms overlooking the ocean, it may be a, 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 a three-bedroom house modestly built with a, a, a two-car garage that's in the valley. And so, but the main goal is the ownership because everybody's starter home can't be their lifetime home. And I think that's the other thing that gets people wrapped up, whereas a lot of wealthy people, you know, they may live in a house that their first home is not the house that is is the um, uh, the, um, the appeal of what people think is a dream home. A lot of times, right. especially people in the previous generations, they didn't get their dream home until, they, until it was time for retirement. So I think the American uh-huh. dream through, you know, very good marketing <laughs> on television and on the Internet has been bastardized because now they're telling us what our dreams should look like as opposed mm-hmm. to understanding what the reality based upon where you are at financially of your dreams should look like. You know, I often think about, you know, when I was sleeping in my car, my American dream was not to have a multimillion-dollar home. I first just wanted to be able to get out of that situation. So uh, here's the other thing. A lot of us try to go from zero to 100 immediately with our American dream. Let's just get to first base. First base may say, hey, let me figure out how to create it. Let me figure out how to generate an additional three to $500 in additional income so when I do get into my first home, I'm not financially strapped. I'm not house poor. I'm not overspending on an automobile loan. So Going back to answering your question, I think a lot of it is is we have to understand what our dream is 
as opposed to them telling us what the American dream should actually look like. I totally agree. And to piggyback on that uh, first question is this. Many people, lottery winners, people who have a concept of stuff thrown at us on television, the car, the clothes, things that depreciate in value the minute you you buy it. Um, most people with wealth, they don't do all that showy thing. They don't have all of that on them every day all the time. And we are fed even with reality shows. You know, I, I know it's, you know, it's got to be appealing and it's got to be um, something that's going to attract an audience. But that's not wealth either. But that's what many think. Um, I don't know whether uh, what what area you grew up in, but I was looking through some vintage magazines and I was reading something about some entertainer who racked up, I guess, 15 cars and a 15,000 square foot home. And I was just like, wow, <laughs> um, it's nice to be able to have that. But then again, that same person went broke. So I think we are still, uh, fed a bill of goods. A car depreciates when you drive it off the lot. Can you talk about that? We're, we're fed these images of what um, wealth is supposed to be. That's not wealth. That's for show. Well, just a couple of things to bring up. First of all, wealth is, building wealth is boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> building wealth is boring. Why is that? Because it takes discipline. That's right. And so most people have an illusion of what they think success looks like. They think success is about having a lot of money and 10 cars. Well, what they're really truly saying is is that they're chasing happiness, but they think the material things is what makes them happy. That's the illusion of what success looks like because anytime you see someone in that new car, they're smiling. Anytime you see someone in that $15,000 square foot home, you see them smiling. But you don't see how they feel inside. And so this is why I say you don't do business or lead with feelings because feelings are fickle. Now, mm-hmm. going back to your, your original uh, question, what it is is that we have to understand wealth is a process that can literally take most of our life for it to happen. You know, the Internet has also done a good job of bastardizing of how long you, how long or putting an expiration date on when we should be successful. I hear people in their 30s beating themselves up saying, oh, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, you know. I hear people in their 40s saying, giving up in life because they don't have the lifestyle they think they're supposed to have. And a lot of the times when I'm talking to my clients and mentees and my students, I tell them the people who you're chasing with the illusion of you assuming they have success isn't living the life that, that you think they live. You know, we live in a society where you could, you could rent a two-hour time frame to walk on and off of a jet. You know, you can go and rent your dream car. You can go and, 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 and rent a home for an hour to take pictures and photos and, and, and all of these things to create an illusion of what success is, of what of, of making an attempt to let people know what success is supposed to look like. You know, I can remember, you know, again, as I was coming up as an entrepreneur, 
success to me was not about stuff. The first thing that I looked at from success was is I wanted to change my circumstances. I wanted right. to get new information. I wanted to be able to just get my bank account out of arrears. You know, I can remember uh, uh, asking my brother to put a bank account in his name because I had overdrawn two bank accounts when I moved out of Milwaukee and moved to Las Vegas. You know, I can remember asking my brother to put the electricity in his name because my credit was so bad. So, but the reason I was able to think in that magnitude, Sabrina, was because I went through personal development. I understood that I have to work on my inside versus most people are trying to work on the outside. See, they're, they're, they're chasing the, the external happiness. I want the internal happiness first. So it made it so now my validation doesn't come from my vehicle. My validation doesn't come from the home or my zip code. Let me not even say my home. The validation doesn't come from my zip code. The validation doesn't come from the, 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 the type of stores I shop at. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't like those things because, yeah, I have nice cars, I have nice homes, all of those things, but I didn't do it chasing happiness. I did it because I like the stuff. But it all started with me being humble enough to understand that my first initial feeling of success was getting a bank account, making the extra three to $500, you know, uh, uh, uh I was my I was literally hiding my car from the repo man for eighteen months to bring that. So wow, I, that was what my happiness was was getting out of those situations because what I find out is that m- there's more people living in those type of conditions than we realize, but because they're chasing uh, 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 um, an illusion, they start doing irrational things and operating out of desperation. And so one of the first things, you know, I see this happen a lot, especially when I was working my, my corporate job, you know, I got paid every two weeks. Every once in a while there would be some months we would get three checks within a month. Well, a lot of people who get that third check think it's extra money. Well, it's not extra money if you still have extra bills. <laughs> right. So Most I have definitely. to change my mind. I have to change my mindset about money. And so understand that success has to start with internal success, internal happiness. Stop chasing the illusion of what we think success should look like. You know, I hate to use the word realistic, but we have to find, we have to create goals within our parameters based upon where we are in our life at that time. You know, how do you think it would have looked? You know, I barely had gainful employment and I went out and bought a vehicle that I knew I couldn't afford. Well, obviously, I went through that process anyway, but the point I'm making is that people become habitual uh, uh, bad decision makers. You know, I've seen and worked with people who've had three repossessions. When are you going to learn that you can't buy a vehicle at the tilt of your income? But then I also started to learn, Sabrina, that most people – don't understand the two basic concepts or two basic principles in understanding creating wealth, and that is income and expenses. Most people' expenses outweigh their income. Mm-hmm. And once you learn just that basic concept, it'll be easier to create the lifestyle that, 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 that you should have based upon the season you are in in your life at that time. 
Awesome. Awesome. Now, what are you doing this summer with your touring? Let us know um, what you're doing, where you'll be. Yeah, so this summer I'm not going to be touring much because I'm putting a lot of emphasis on building my real estate portfolio and, and, and creating assets, and here's why. During a reset, something happens that if we think about the word common sense, but then we also say common sense is not all that common, I don't want to miss out on the opportunity of Sabrina. And what is that? When we're going through a correction, we're going through a reset, things get cheap. The stocks are cheap. Real estate is cheap. Crypto is cheap. Whatever is your thing or whatever there is something that you can invest in to create an asset out of, usually the price decreases. People are selling their businesses at a discount. So I'm putting a lot of my efforts into uh, uh, making sure I'm in position to be able to purchase the real estate when it goes, you know, 40 cents on a dollar. I'm, look, I'm positioning myself to be able to invest in companies when they go 30 cents on a dollar. You know, stocks are down. This is the time to buy. But because I understand it's a long-term game, because I understand nothing stays at the bottom floor forever, I'm focused on not only, one, positioning myself, but showing people how to, how to, how to spot the indicators and, giving, and also attempting to teach them why they should buy when things are low. See, we have this mindset that, hey, let me buy the house at a million dollars and hope that it increases in value to five million. No, you could have got that million dollar house during the correction at three hundred thousand. You have a better mm-hmm. odds of it going from three hundred thousand to a million versus a million to five million. So right. a lot of my time right now will spend I'm spending educating myself on these indicators and then uh the next season will be my opportunity to go out and start teaching people these things. But what I'm also doing, Sabrina, is is I'm showing and teaching people even now going through my process in real time. So, for example, uh, back in January, I purchased an old bank building without using any of my own money. And so I want to be able to say, hey, I did this. Let me show you exactly step-by-step what I did to accomplish this. You know, since January 2021, excuse me, of 2022, I'm still a year behind. Uh, I've, I've, I've acquired <laughs> over 12 income-producing properties. But let me show you how I did it. And so my, so now what I'm really focused on is doing more hands-on things and showing people how I do it. And then the next season that comes around, I'll get back on the road because one of my things is, Sabrina, is that I really want to let people know that, look, I'm a, I'm a black male from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I was told by the age of 21 I'll be dead, locked up, or in jail. I was labeled a statistic. You know, I lived in a city where the zip code 53206 has the highest incarceration rate of any zip code per capita in any city in the United States. You know, I was, I'm a college dropout. I was homeless. I had several failed businesses. I was sued civilly. If I can go through all of that and still be here today sharing my story with your viewers, sharing the fact that I have over $20 million of a net worth and assets that I've created in five years, if I can do it, anybody can do it. 
Wow. That's beautiful. What is your website? So my website is wemanagementservices.com, and that's wemanagementservices.com. Awesome. I will leave you the final words. So my final words is, is that we're in a state of emergency from a standpoint of, of, of understanding that we do not have much time to play with our happiness. We don't have much time to play with our financial future. Because I can almost assure you, Sabrina, every single year for the past five years, someone has looked their family in the eyes December 31st, whatever year it is, and told them this is going to be our year. But then over the next five years, they told their, their family the exact same thing, but nothing ever changed within their family. Now is the time to stop playing with your potential and go out there and do and be, uh, you know, financially responsible for the things you told your family you were going to do to really create that generational wealth because a lot of us just use it as a cool hashtag without us, without us truly understanding the concept of how to create wealth, what wealth looks like. And first even understanding, Sabrina, that wealth means long term. Generations mm-hmm. means forever. So we're out here with, you know, uh, with bad habits, but thinking we're going to be in position for this thing called generational wealth. And so I just want to tell people that now is the time to take advantage of these corrections because more people create wealth during down economies. Now is not the time to feel sorry for yourself. Get the information. You know, I want to share with your viewers, I, I, I put together what's called a credit and assets bundle. It's a credit and assets program, which is which is packed with tons of information, video modules, courses that I'm offering at an extremely discounted rate. I'm talking over a 97% discount of what it typically retails for. And in my credit bundle, I have everything credit-driven, understanding credit, understanding personal credit, how to build business credit, how to go to the bank, how to get funding from the bank, how to purchase your first home. Uh, and then my assets bundle is content and information and courses and programs and books that teaches you how to how to create assets leveraging your credit, which is the only way you can truly create generational wealth. You have to hold assets. And to get more information on that program, you can go to creditandassets.com. And I'll leave on that note. Thanks so much for being back with me. And you're welcome to come back anytime uh, that you have something that you want to share with us. I appreciate your time and, of course, uh, your wisdom. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you.